Drinking with Authors contains adult themes and subjects, including discussions involving alcohol. We ask if you are drinking along to please drink and listen responsibly. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Literary Briefs episode. I'm Erica Lance. And I'm Valerie Willis. And with us today is... David Bren. Woo! Okay, we're going to make this rapid, rapid fire questions. So the first... Oh, what we're drinking. We are drinking... Um, or uh, apple cider with honey jack. Wow, I can't even remember what I'm drinking. And it was delicious. And uh, David, what are you drinking? Well, I brought down my uh, 45-year-old bottle of Johnny Walker Swing, but it's before noon in California, so I'm limiting myself to a little shot of uh, port, which is so civilized. It's very civilized. Way more civilized than we are, so I'm impressed. Okay, rapid-fire questions. What is your favorite book? My favorite book of all? Uh, uh, Board of the Rings. Board of the Rings? Board of the Rings. Um, It's it's, simply any page is as good or better than Monty Python, and I love to laugh. Um, and uh, Board of the Rings. Now, you have to be of my generation to get about a third of the jokes because they're based upon commercials of the 60s and 70s. Um, Like, for instance, Coca-Cola had an ad jingle, uh, things go better with Coca-Cola. Well, when... uh, Frito, son of dildo, is coughing because because, <laughs> because good golf gray teeth uh, is describing the magic decoder ring uh, and all the, and how it it it, it causes um, bad breath and all sorts of things. Um, a Paul fills the room and Frito kicks the smoke grenade out the door and said, "Do you have to?" And good golf says. Rings go better with Hocus Pocus. Oh. Oh. Oh, oh I love it. I love it. I love it, though. No, uh-huh. you're going to hunt down the book. I am going to hunt down this book. I don't, okay. I don't care. I, had, I have 70s commercials. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> I love Monty Python. Okay. Next rapid fire question. What is your least favorite book? Well, I mean, Oswald, Spang- Oswald Spengler's Decline of the West, stupid thing, back in 1920, predicting predicting that the West would immediately decline when our best days were ahead though, through horrible crises. I have to tell you that probably the one that does the most harm that would surprise everybody, and I'm the only one to say it, uh, is Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. What? What? Hold on, you're breaking my childhood. Whoa, okay. That's that's the point. It's in every junior high school in America, and it is spectacularly well done, very deeply moving, uh, brilliantly written propaganda for evil. Um, Never, ever does he extol citizenship, the notion that we can build institutions. Uh, Always the lesson is hand things over to a demigod. Uh, Our institutions will always fail. They'll always be corrupt. They'll always be be evil. Now, it happens in in the action of Ender's Game. The institutions do perform evil, and his demigod is probably the most soulful, decent, and wonderful, and warm, and kind 
um, demigod possible. And he he's very persuasive about that. And that's the point. You want to hand all power over to Ender because he's the only hope for goodness and decency. You want to hand all power over to a demigod. Wow. So you see, he's not saying, you know, he's not showing Sauron or, you know, some dripping things, give me power. No, Ender, Ender, Ender keeps chiding us saying, you should govern yourselves better. I don't want the power. I have to? Oh, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Ow! And wow. he's in pain, and he's so deep. Oh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant stuff. It's just that the moral lesson that's being taught is a moral lesson that I consider to be evil. It's the exact opposite of the postman, where the lesson is we as people need to argue and compete and cooperate and rebuild our institutions and try to become better together. Because when you think about it, all of us die. No matter how we've perfected ourselves, all that work is wasted unless it's passed on. It's the cumulative wisdom of our society that we're improving on in the streets right now with Black Lives Matter and all of that. And it, totally. And it's funny because I read both of those books back to back. Well, there's more than two. <laughs> right. But post, oh, you mean the Postman yeah, and Ender's, Ender's Game? Game? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I always thought Ender's Game was what I would consider, because there's always fantasy and then there's dark fantasy, which is like this sense of hopelessness. And that's sort of the feeling I got with Ender's Game, where the Postman less so. So like it, it and, and I don't know, like, I, I, how to describe, I, I took something from both pieces, but they were different, different perspectives. I didn't get the sensation that I should hand everything to good, but good is going to struggle and get beaten up more is basically what I came away from both books. Yeah, well, you know, look, if I, if, 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 if we ever face a situation where we must hand power over to a demigod or restore feudalism or, you know, top-down hierarchy, pyramidal hierarchy, I hope it's a guy like Ender. Uh, for one thing, he's soulful and, and when warm and kind. Uh, for another thing, he won't enjoy it. Yeah. And, and if we're going to be dominated by some demigod, I hope he doesn't enjoy it. That, that's, no, that's, that's true. Um, when you, who, what is your favorite character, like, in a book? What is your favorite character? Of mine? Let's do of yours. What is your favorite character? I mean, look, um, the astronaut Teresa Ticana in, in, um, in Earth is, uh, unstoppable. Um, Maya my character in Glory Season uh, is the indomitable daughter. Um, of course, my daughter has a second degree black belt, um, but she's <laughs> she's she's the she's the the young woman who um, perseveres. Uh, Gordon in The Postman uh, is is the is the dreamer who never gives up. But I suppose my favorite character would be Fiben, the chimp in the Uplift War. Uh, I could pick him up by his ankles and beat him against a wall for 20 minutes, and he'd just come up snarling and scrapping and, 
and and fighting and come come back for more. Uh, I, and and I did. I I I put that little guy. <laughs> I put that little guy to hell. Off an unkillable character, or is that what you're? <laughs> and he winds up getting both the girls. So that's that's fine. Uh, well, what about? Do you ever have difficulty writing characters? Like, do you ever start to write a character and find that it's difficult getting into that perspective, or do you have to go ask advices? I have some difficulty with villains um, because um, mine tend to be a bit too rational. Um, and, well, I mean, everybody in my novels has a tendency to, you know, to be a little bit too rational. Uh, I, I, th I think that's a legitimate, legitimate complaint. Um, uh, yeah. I, oh, there is. There's so many wonderful characters from from fiction. I think Anne McCaffrey had wonderful characters in her um, Dragon. Though Anne would always get very angry when you called her a fantasy author. Really? Really? Absolutely. It would make her furious. She would say, I am a science fiction author. And absolutely. It was absolutely true. Right. Her stories had dragons. They were set in medieval settings. Uh, they were uh, feudalism. There were bards singing and crafts and weaving and all this. There were pages, pages after pages of crafts and weaving. Um, and yet... Absolutely, absolutely was science fiction because her dragon riders and the people in this crushed human uh, feudal society eventually find out that their ancestors once had traveled between the stars and uh, had universities and spaceships and printing presses and flush toilets and pharmaceuticals. And the one thing that makes it science fiction and not fantasy is they want those things back. And they'll have lords and ladies because in their crushed society, it had to become pyramidal. It had to, just to even survive. He had to become feudal for a while. And they'll continue some of these traditions, doff their hats to the lords and all that, if they don't get in the way. If they get in the way of getting universities and flush toilets back, they will be grease spots. Yeah. And that is what makes the Dragon Riders series science fiction. It's not the furniture. It is the sentiment that things change. And that if they change for the worse, how might we cope? If they can change for the better, how can we cope with the things that would prevent it? And that is the fundamental break between science fiction and the mother genre. That's, that's a great example. I mean, if anything that a lot of people either classify as both, it would be Anne McCaffrey's work. Um, I, I had a question. So you say you write rational villains. Who are your favorite villains? Like in, in stories, who are your favorite villains? Alan Rickman in Die Hard. <laughs> oh, 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 man. 
I'm more than just a thief. I'm an exceptional thief. Uh, there was a there's a great Netflix show that talks about the making of that movie and then putting it up and the casting and how like the original poster didn't have Bruce Willis on it because he had done Moonlighting. And they were like, this will never sell if we put Bruce Willis on the, like there's a whole thing and it talks about Alan Rickman taking this villain role and how iconic this movie has become when it was really kind of a cheap piece of crap movie that they were throwing (laughs) together. Like, you know, the concept that, you know, these things would take over this high Anyway, it's a really, it's just like Rector Hauer in, in Blade Runner. I mean, to the villain roles offer real possibilities for act for acting in movies. Um, the dichotomy isn't as great in novels, but in movies, all the good lines go to the villains. It does. I mean, the the, the job of the hero is like Bruce Willis uh, to say, "Oh yeah," and "Yippee Kaye," you know. It, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> Because people don't like their junior high school teachers who gave speeches. So you give speeches to the villains because the audience loves to hate that. <laughs> they hate being lectured to. You know, you, you can be tongue-tied, but you can always go back at them saying, oh, yeah? That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, that's very that's true. That's very true. I've always thought that I, I personally, uh, I personally love villains when they make them super bad and don't give them a redeeming quality. I kind of hate it when villains have these super redeeming qualities and people are like, "Oh," I'm like, "No, this is a horrible person." Like the Sword of Truth series had a bad guy in it that yeah. was one of the priest or whatever and he was a pedophile and he was just a horrible there was literally yeah, nothing, nothing redeeming about him he was just pure embodied evil most of the villains in that series were unredeemable yeah but there, there you go i don't think you learn anything from that whereas uh what 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 i think is that that um I think it's important to, to understand the rationalizations of history's villains because uh, a lot of them didn't think they were villains, or understand or understand what 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 made something go wrong. Everywhere Napoleon's armies went and stayed for a year, the Jews were out of the ghettos wearing the same clothes as everyone else. The peasants were freed. Um, um, uh, urban businesses flowered, and, and the farmers got their own land. Yet he was remembered as a tyrant because above a certain level, he was tyrannical when it came to his own power and his own family's power. And below that, he thought of himself as a servant of the revolution, spreading the revolution. Now, that kind of complexity is, I think, tremendously more interesting than Hitler. As Hannah Arendt pointed out, you know, the banality of evil, um, how banal it can be in, in its just uh, unsapient and bureaucratic uh, and obsessive cruelty uh, when um, 
Well, I mean, look at look at what's going on today, the, the toppling of Confederate statues. I mean, Robert E. Lee is an interesting character. I mean, the, the um, uh, Stonewall Jackson, I mean, an okay tactician and an absolutely horrible monster. Yeah. But those subtleties were available. We could have negotiated over those 10 years ago. We could have come to a new, com- but because everyone was on that side was so obstinate, they're all coming down, including yeah. Lee. No, that's true. I think it's, there is, it's interesting, I think, in um, society now. I say this only having, I mean, ob- obviously we're doing age things here. Having grown <laughs> up in the 80s <laughs> and stuff, you just shut <laughs> up. Um, having grown up in the 80s and also growing up before the internet was really a big thing, before cell phones were a big thing, before, you know what I mean? Like, it was a different mode of operating and also a different communication information access yeah but it's it's not as accessible as true information is not as accessible as you think we've talked about this because like i in in my my real world job i run um hr and i'm a a human resource executive a company with over a thousand employees and trying to get like true information during this covid thing of what is actually real and not real and what safety precautions should be taken and not taken because you can almost get anybody to agree with you on anything right now. Like if you have a view, you can find people that will agree with your view. Well, this has happened every time there's a new medium. When the printing press was invented, the um, the product of the printing press we're not, we're aware of is the Gutenberg Bibles, but in fact, vastly the biggest product was horrible, scurrilous, slanderous religious tracts, pamphlets circulated by the tens of thousands uh, that exacerbated the European religious wars. Uh, optimists always think new media are going to make us better, and they're always right in the long run. Because the printing press did make people more literate and more knowledgeable about their worlds. But in the short term, the pessimists are always right. And we almost died from this in the 1930s, when radios and loudspeakers amplified the human voice to godlike proportions. Um, And uh, it's only in the English-speaking world that citizens chose among the gifted orators, godlike orators, chose uh, some who were on our side, Churchill, Roosevelt. Um, Around the world, you know, uh, puppeteers manipulated populations with these new tools, which eventually we got used to and helped to amplify us. Um, The internet is doing this now, and I have papers about ways that we could we could try to get the good without the bad or lessen the effects of the bad. I gave a talk at Facebook in early 2017 when they were all agitated over how they had been misused in the 2016 election. And they used absolutely none of my suggestions. It's very frustrating. Um, but uh, we don't have the same time they had back in Gutenberg's time. Uh, we don't have time to adjust. We have to adjust rapidly and in real time. And speaking of real time. Yeah, speaking of yeah. real time. Okay, so the last question I have, and then we will wrap up. 
What is your advice to young authors? I know we're going to do links, but if you had to give one little bit of advice to fledgling authors, uh-huh. what would that be? Well, um, as I've said elsewhere, um, seek criticism. Learn to think of criticism as food because it's the only way you would get better at any art or craft. You're learning to play the violin. Writing is no different than that. You have to try and try and fail and find out what your mistakes were. Uh, workshop. Um, try to develop an ear for dialogue and develop the, these prefrontal lobes because they're what enable you to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Try to imagine what it would be like to be the other sex or an, a, a, an altered gender or, or um, live in um, Philip Jose's farmer world where, where, where you could, um, Philip Jose Farmer's world where changing your sex is an outpatient procedure. Uh, you know, try. that's what science fiction is good at. You imagine the challenges to your perception of who and what you are that could come about as a result of just change. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so, Thank much. You so much. We can find you on your website, davidbrin.com, mm-hmm. and you have a... A contrary brain, which is your blog. blog. We're going to list all of this, but that's how people reach you, correct? Yes. Perfect. Wonderful. You have been amazing. Thank you for being Thank on you. this podcast with us. I've been Erica Lance. I'm Valerie Willis. And and I'm impressed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. It was wonderful having you. All right. Bye. Bye.